health is wealth, and this is where we're going to talk about it. The Small Conversations for a Better World podcast with hosts Jillian McCormick and Susanna Steers. This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and or their guests to the show. The content is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice nor establish legal standard of care. Welcome to the Small Conversations for a Better World podcast. I'm Susanna Steers. And I'm Jillian McCormick. In this podcast, we aim to ask the question, what is health? How do we create it? What are the factors that contribute to health for us, for our families, for our communities? What are some of the barriers? These are some of the questions we're going to explore through a series of small conversations with some amazing people doing really interesting things. We live in a crazy, uber-connected world where we can get all kinds of information at the click of a button. But evaluating the meaning of that information and understanding its implications for our own health and well-being is a lot more complicated. It's the kind of stuff we need to talk about so we can figure out how it relates to our own lives and the lives of our loved ones. Now, Jillian, these are the kinds of conversations that you and I have had many times over coffee, out on a hike, during dinner together, in relation to our own work and our own lives. We've talked about health, about people, about systems, about the treatment interface, about how one body responds in a textbook manner and another body doesn't, even though they may initially present with identical situations. And inevitably, these kinds of conversations evolved into thoughts about what the larger context of these questions might be, or even the smaller, more personal scenarios. Well, yeah, Sue. And after we'd had enough of these conversations together, we decided we needed to connect and talk with people outside of our own fields to widen our perspective and gain new insights. What could we learn from these other people? How could we use what we learn to improve health, our own and our families? And then we thought, well, maybe we could record these conversations and share them with other people who want to talk about this stuff too. And bam, Small Conversations for a Better World podcast was born. Now, at this point, you might be wondering why a couple of friends and colleagues would have this kind of conversation about health over coffee together. So why don't we introduce ourselves and tell the people a little bit about why we, how we got here? That's a great idea, Susanna. Uh, well, okay, so I come from a rehabilitation background. I went to physio school when it was still an undergraduate degree, so right out of high school. I went off to the U of A in the Faculty of Rehabilitation Medicine. I was 17 when I started, uh, kind of a late baby. So let's sum that up as many moons ago. I did start out in public health, but I pretty quickly realized that I liked the flexibility and the challenge of private practice and orthopedic cases. Uh, so I jumped over to private, private practice uh, pretty quickly, and aside from a couple short stints, I haven't gone back. But you have a subspecialty now, right? Well, yeah. I'm a pelvic health physio, so that means that I have special postgraduate training to treat problems that are unique to a pelvis in dysfunction. This includes incontinence of urine and stool, uh, pelvic organ prolapse, and various types of pelvic pain. I treat women across the lifespan beginning at around age 16 or 17 or so and carrying on to as old as any woman who wants to see if she can change her situation. Uh, 90 years old was the oldest woman I ever treated. I treat men as well for pelvic health concerns, uh, but these are orders of magnitude less common for my practice. 
partly due to the fact that men simply don't have the same incidence of incontinence, prolapse, or pelvic, chronic pelvic pain in their lifetimes. All that said, I treat regular problems in my clinic too. Legs, sore necks and shoulders and low backs and knees. Do you have a favorite group to treat? One of my favorite populations are moms, uh, either prenatal, currently pregnant, or postpartum women, uh, who find themselves with what feels like a brand new body, um, you know, all in the context of that new role as mom. Uh, no different to this in several key ways is the perimenopausal women. They also have a whole new body due to the change of their hormone situations. Uh, they're fun to treat, too. I've had the great good fortune of being assessed and treated by you, and I feel like you do things a little bit differently than a lot of physios I've seen. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? I have had about a dozen years utilizing a model of approach to physiotherapy problems that is presently called Connect Therapy. Connect Therapy is a clinical decision-making framework where we as practitioners try to identify all the influences, both uh, in intrinsic to the person and extrinsic, that are impacting their current experience. I do a detailed subjective history to kind of dig through their story, the story of their bodies, uh, for the clues to what's going on for them, and a thorough physical assessment of my client in a movement context. And what I'm looking for is the first thing that falls over in their kinetic chain that leads to the breakdown that my client feels. It's called the driver, and then that is what I treat. It's a bit of a long explanation, but in reality, it's like, of course, that's what you treat, the reason for the problem. So the problem heals and doesn't have to come back. Uh, if you aren't familiar with this approach, it can feel really different to what happens at a clinic where when you go with knee pain and they immediately lie you down and assess your knee, I'm not going to do that. When I first found Connect Therapy, it was called something else, but the tenets of the whole person approach were there. And I'd have to say that it has truly influenced my practice and also my own health journey. And from there, the way I parent and the way I do friendship it's allowed me to find a container to fit all the things I know and understand about humans and physio, physiology, biology, etc., and apply them with confidence in a clinical space. So a strong influence on why I do the things I do in the clinic and in the rest of my professional life, including having all these conversations with you. That's awesome. And what about you, Sue? What's the path that brings you to a health space? Well, I came to health through the back door. Uh, my first love and career was modern dance. I trained and worked with small dance companies and with independent choreographers in Ontario and Quebec. And I still remember when I took my first anatomy course at university, my motivation for doing that course had nothing to do with health. When I was looking at the cadavers, all I was interested in were the relationships inside the body that would help me figure out how I could hold my legs straight up in the air or how I could jump to the moon. Dance was everything to me. I loved pushing my body to its absolute limits. I loved the music. I loved being able to express my emotions and explore things in movement. As a dancer, you're constantly working to understand the movement sort of ins from the inside out. Uh, you're observing and analyzing and figuring out how to execute movement at a very high level. I've heard other people say it, but I think it's true for me too. Movement is my first language. It helps me understand my world. It helps me make sense of my emotions and figure out my relationships. Okay, so how do you go from dance to health? 
Well, it's still a bit of a circuitous route. As a teenager and throughout my dance career, I always had trouble with my knees. They were stiff and unstable. They hurt all the time. They swelled up. And whenever I worked too hard, they were like balloons. They were just big and puffy and not comfortable. I had had all kinds of medical attention and therapy. I wore a brace in my teens, but nothing seemed to make any lasting difference. I just sort of had to deal with the pain. <laughs> I'd done some Pilates mat work in Montreal when I lived there, um, but I found a studio here in Vancouver that I'd heard really good things about. And there I worked with some really wonderful teachers who helped me reprogram inefficient movement patterns that were creating stress in my joints. With a lot of focus and practice, I was able to really turn things around. And after about a year of consistent work on it, my knee pain and a whole bunch of other stuff in my body that I didn't really appreciate was actually pain, uh, it all disappeared. I could move freely with less effort and my body felt fantastic. So you might think that then, woohoo, dance career takes off. But at that point, even with my body feeling better, I decided I was ready to retire from performing. The Pilates studio where I trained had asked me to come on as a teacher trainee, and I underwent a pretty rigorous training program. After I got my certification and began to earn my chops as an instructor, I was lucky to work in an environment where we were creating movement programs for a really wide spectrum of people. I worked with professional athletes and dancers, with fitness enthusiasts, and with a whole range of rehab clients. I created programs to help people recover from everything from low back pain to joint replacements to injuries from severe motor vehicle accidents, including brain injuries and diseases like multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's. At this time, in the mid to late 90s, there wasn't a Pilates class in every rec center. It was, you know, relatively outside the mainstream. Um, it was just starting to gain popularity, and a lot of people we worked with were somewhat purpose-driven. It wasn't just a novel fitness adventure. There was a lot. Uh, there was a new puzzle every day. And when I realized that I could actually share the life-changing experience that I had had in my own body with this work, I was hooked. I went on to train in more advanced Pilates work with master teachers and industry leaders. I branched out into other disciplines to, to learn more ways to support people in their moving bodies. And I studied alternative movement therapies, fitness and coaching theory, cranial sacral therapy, and different kinds of body work. I studied breathing and explored the effects of the nervous system on movement and learning. And I was fortunate enough to study the integrated systems model with Diane Lee, which relates a little bit to the, the whole person approach that you were talking about earlier. Um, and it, too, had a, a profound effect on my own practice. Well, that integrated systems model, it was created by Diane Lee and Dr. LJ Lee. And when I began the work that I described earlier, it was with LJ and Diane through the integrated systems model. And then when that dynamic duo decided it was time to part ways, Dr. Lee took her ideas about the ISM and turned it into Connect Therapy. And Diane continued to teach and develop her ideas under ISM. They're both models that are founded on the idea that everything is connected in our bodies and in our worlds, environments, where we work, where we play. Just such a great model. It is. <clears throat> so I've always thought that you made the best Pilates practitioner because you were open to these new ideas. So I came, come in and explain what my driver is. I'd, I think when I met you was my left hip. And you were totally open to the idea that while we did arm work on the reformer, I needed to be controlling my left hip to do that well. 
And then we together experimented about positions and loading and cueing to see what allowed me the most access to my deep system for control and good movement. Talk about a venue for real progress. Yeah, we've, we've done some good work together, yeah, I think. we've done some good work. Should we talk about how we met? I guess we should talk about that. So when I, uh, you and I met, Sue, I had been referred to you for some Pilates training. Things were not going so well in my body right then, and I had a need not only to move, but to talk about why a particular movement was hard or what it felt like. I think part of why we worked so well together is we seemed like we were speaking the same language. Yeah. No matter that we had our different journeys to get into that one room, there was so much overlap in our collective experiences. And, you know, I have to say, one of the most uh, one of the things that has most fascinated me from the beginning of, of my fitness and healthcare journey and in our collaborations, Jillian, is that no matter who I'm working with, no matter what challenge they're dealing with, there are always other factors in their lives that will have as important an effect on their outcomes as whatever work we do together. Things like stress, nutrition, relationships, past traumas, how safe they feel, all of these have an effect and they affect the work that we do together. So understanding a person's story, their motivations, their challenges, their passions and their joys, these are all important pieces that have to have a place in our work together if we're going to get good results. And equally important for a good practitioner is to understand our own story and motivations and challenges, why we're doing the work. And it's the backbone of all the work that we do at Moving Spirit, which is my Pilates and Integrated Movement Studio in North Vancouver. So there we were, two chicks with separate journeys through our careers who traveled in nearby circles, but not the exact same ones, until finally we were introduced and shazam, worlds collide. <laughs> that they did. So get ready, folks. We have an incredible lineup for you this in this, our first season. We went with some big guns and some lesser knowns to round out a season designed to highlight the vastness of this conversation about what is health. We'll speak with a couple of physicians, one who works in public health with the BC Centers for Disease Control, and have a vital conversation about microbial resistance and vaccinations. And another family physician with specialized training in menopause who's not afraid to talk about the challenges within our healthcare system that can make it hard for a woman to get the care she needs. We'll speak with a couple of researchers, one who believes that nature needs to be planned into our urban designs for the preservation of our mental health, and one who's studying masculinity and education. We're going to dive into a conversation about pot with a cannabis retailer who found her way there through struggles with her own menopause. And we'll round out our season with a pelvic health physio who does, in fact, treat lots of men and has written a book on how to prepare for and recover from prostate surgery and have a fascinating conversation with a military expert who has some important things to say about training good leaders. And if this sounds interesting to you, subscribe. So a new episode drops into your playlist each week starting January 3rd, 2020. And then pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join us for some small conversations for a better world. We've got the coffee on. If you liked what you heard, we encourage you to head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Better yet, subscribe and leave a review. That really helps to make it easier for others to find us to help broaden this small conversation. 